When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey. I am so sick of you right now. You make me want to puke. I mean, honestly, I want to puke right on this microphone. Judd Zolgad. I think you're clueless. I think you're entirely clueless. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. I, I lost me earlier, but uh, I, I was praying, and I, thank God. Thank God. For what that happened to us. How's it going? I'm, oh, my God. <laughs> What's oh wrong? My. What's wrong, man? You act I, like there's I, something I, wrong. I'm just trying to stop the tears from rolling down my cheeks. <laughs> I'm. I'm oh. <laughs> this never happens for us. Uh. It never happens that we get lucky. Tell me about but, it. Oh my God. Case Keenum, I love you, except for that man. stupid throw. That yeah. stupid, <laughs> stupid that was bad. throw. That was bad. After they scored that touchdown, but you know what? We got it. It doesn't matter. We got it. That is an absolutely <laughs> priceless phone call. I love oh, that dude, phone. I love best. that phone call. That's Jeff in Minneapolis. Well, good for him the... for calling. That is that is so cool that he called and was just crying and didn't care. Yeah. So Jeff Jeff's been a regular caller on Vetline for the entire season and probably the last couple of years. So it's it's fun. I mean, my God, you know, people are just. I, I think this is such a unique feeling, and it's it's been fun to ride the wave the last few days, and we'll see what the next four or five days bring and then what the reaction is on Monday. So um, yesterday we talked about Case Keenum and Tony Romo, and actually this stemmed from we played the John Gruden clip a couple days ago, mm-hmm. John Gruden quarterback camp, and he said he brought up a, a piece of film from Tony Romo. This is like a 2013 quarterback camp where Case Keenum is in a hooded sweatshirt and he's taking notes from John Gruden. And he, I want you to take a look at uh, this this quarterback here. Who, who's this guy? Who's this guy? Uh, that's uh, Tony Romo, Eastern Illinois. Yeah, and he's like, he's just my my John Gruden. Your macho kind man. of blends into a macho man. Just into yeah. macho. Who's this snapping into a slim gym? Tony Romo. Macho yeah. Man. yeah, macho man Ooh, doing yeah. film breakdowns. And uh, and so we looked up. Tony Romo's age twenty nine season is almost identical to Case Keenum's age twenty nine season. Now Romo had had three pretty successful years before that with the Cowboys as a starter, and Keenum's been a starter off and on, and mostly mediocre until right now. And then people started emailing in. Well, that's not the only undrafted franchise quarterback the last twenty years. There's two other notable ones: Kurt Warner and Jeff Garcia. Mm-hmm. Kurt Warner is a tough one because he he turned into a Hall of Famer. Yes. He won rings. He won a Super Bowl, went to three Super Bowls. Yes. 
And uh, and I think he won the MVP award in his first season, 1999. I'm pretty sure he was the MVP in 1999. It was either him or Marshall Falk. But, yep. but he played 40 touchdown passes, different planet. But all three of those guys and Case Keenum have a lot of similarities. Kurt Warner broke out when he was 28. Mm-hmm. Tony Romo didn't really break out until he was about 27 in the NFL. Keenum's 29, mm-hmm. having a breakout season. And Jeff Garcia didn't break out in the NFL until he was 30. So if if you're undrafted, you might have to go to the Arena League in Kurt Warner's case. You might have to go to the CFL. Wasn't Jeff Garcia in the CFL for a couple of years? I think he was, yeah. Or just be a be a backup forever or sit around. And then in your late 20s, you might get that shot. And all of them had limitations that prevented them from either being drafted or from being starters early in their career. Tony Romo was small college guy, was risky, was a little bit reckless with the football. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt Warner was kind of plotting. I don't recall him having a cannon for an arm, but he was just... Uh, he was more of a, a precise he thrower. Got rid of the ball incredibly quick. Too. Yep. yep. Jeff Garcia was like 190 pounds. He yeah. wasn't. Most quarterbacks are 215, 20 pounds. Uh, Case Keenum, accuracy a factor, height an issue. Mm-hmm. But then all of them overcame it with some sort of leadership bulldog quality about them. The Jeff Garcia one's the most interesting to if, me. I think that's a pretty good comp. If I'm not mistaken, where you could definitely draw the comparison uh, between first year successes with those three. Is this too? All three were given sports cars to drive. Yes. All three were given. I mean, that Rams team, if you recall, in 99, the Rams had gone out, Vermeil was coaching them, and they went and got Trent Green. And Trent Green was supposed to go there, and that offense looked great. Like that, that wasn't a fluke. And then he got hurt in, in a preseason game, and Warner came in, and they didn't know what to expect exactly, but he was given a Ferrari. I mean, he was given Hall a of high, Fame, Mack, Hall high, of Fame offensive line. high-powered sports car. Receivers, the whole deal. So I think where you can draw the parallel with all three is is they basically stepped into situations that they might not have been expected to get, but they got them, and they, they were told, essentially, okay, drive this thing, and all three did. And Romo had Terrell Owens. He had a pretty good running game. I think Marion Barber the third uh, Minnesota guy, was was he was a solid running back. But they had, but they had Jason Witten at tight end. Uh, Jeff Garcia had Terrell Owens early in his career. As I recall, that San Francisco offense that Garcia got was pretty doggone yeah. good at the time. Yep. John Gruden was the head coach, great offensive mastermind when he was in Tampa Bay in 2007, went to a Pro Bowl. Oh, with Garcia. Okay, yeah. With Jeff Garcia, yep. yep. So, yeah, yep. Now, these, now these guys all went on and played multiple years at a high level. I mean, Kurt Warner had, it wound up being about six really good to MVP caliber seasons and then a gap between the with two the stints. But he was benched with the Rams even. Okay. Mark Bulger was the starter for a while with the Rams. He was still there as a backup. And then he went to the Giants. Mm-hmm. He was a backup for a little while in Arizona. So Kurt Warner's career is weird. It goes three years as a top starter. And then like five years as a backup. And then three more years as a really good starter in Arizona where they went to a Super Bowl. And that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. Because in half the years that he was a top starter, they went to the Super Bowl and then won it once. Yep. Uh, Tony Romo, about 10 years of borderline MVP caliber play off and on, sabotaged by bad interceptions and different things. Jeff Garcia wound up in four Pro Bowls, three with San Francisco, and then one later on in his career in his late 30s with Tampa Bay mm-hmm. and um, and played at a, at a top 10 level for like four or five years in San Francisco. When did Garcia play until? What age? Uh, almost 40. Yeah, because I was going to say, he... He was around then for quite a while after he broke in. Yep, he bounced around with a lot right. of teams. He was with the Eagles for a minute, but that's I think that's Case Keenum 
He's 29, so he's not going to have... It's too late of a start for him to be like this 15-year guy, obviously. But could he be a four- to five-year, really solid, not Tom Brady, but borderline top 10 starter like Jeff Garcia was? Yes, I could see that. I'm not going to bet a ton of money on it yet. I'd like to see one more year, back it up with one more year. But I could see that happening. I really want to see him operate. Now, if Shermer leaves, I, I want to see him operate with a different coordinator uh, because the parts of, of this offense remain very solid. I mean, it, is it perfect? No, it's not. But it's got solid parts. I mean, you, you've got a good run game, which is, I think, going to be improved by Cook's return. That's only going to get better, right? You've got two receivers who are outstanding. Your tight end is solid. So what I really want to see is if Keenum can come back next year, and I'm guessing that he's going to have a different coordinator at that point in time, and and show a semblance of the same thing. But when you're given an offense that is very functional and has some really nice parts and a defense that that is this good— You've got an opportunity to be very successful. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I said this earlier in the season, and obviously it got taken as a huge shot across to Case Keenum. I think there's 30 or 40 quarterbacks in the league. Well, there's 14 that are just franchise guys, so they count. But I think there's about 30 or 40 quarterbacks that would have a huge uptick in their performance and be looked at as a really good starting quarterback with this Vikings infrastructure and with Pat Shermer and Diggs and Thielen. I mean, this is going to sound insane, but if you put guys like Nick Foles or Matt Moore, these career backups that have popped up once in a while, if you put them in this same spot, now would they play as well as Case has? I don't know. But would you would you look at them and say, oh my God, train wreck backup? No, you'd say, wow, I didn't know. Matt Moore's got a little something there. Yeah. Oh, Nick Foles. Okay, yeah. interesting. If Case Keenum bolts and leaves here, if he signs with with a team that's just going to pay him the most, he might be crazy. If he goes to let's say Cleveland, I think he is okay at best. Well, but if I mean, he goes, money, money is money. In I understand some ways that too. But, but but what but what I'm saying is, I think that that he and his agent need to be very smart here. And if they now say, you know what, guys, this is for real. I am a Pro Bowl quarterback, and that's me. And I'm going to go to Cleveland, for instance. I think you're nuts. I think that. For Keenum to continue to be successful, I think you've got to really look long and hard at the situation and who who you're going to work with and and personnel-wise, what you're going to get. You know, it's hard. This is a bit of an apples to oranges because it's a wide receiver, but Eric Decker won a championship. I believe his last year in Denver was the last. That was the Peyton Manning year where he yes, won a championship, he right? Did, he did. And then he signed the contract with the Jets. Mm-hmm. It was a big contract because mm-hmm. the, the, the Broncos are like, I mean, we're probably not going to. Probably not going to pay you. Um, it was either that or was it, was it the year that they lost the Seahawks? Either way, he decided. He had a big you know year, what? though. Yeah, he decided. You know what? I'm, this is the only time in my life I'm going to be offered this kind of money. In case Keenum's at that point, this is the only time in your life that someone's going to give you like twenty million dollars a year to play football. And if the Browns are the only team that does it, let, let's paint this hypothetical. If the Browns said we'll give you twenty million dollars a year, and the Vikings said we like you. But we also need to be reasonable here. We'll give you $10 million a year. Mm-hmm. It's all monopoly money to someone who's not making $10 million a year like myself. So it's easy for me to sit there and say, you know, I'd probably just take the $10 million and sit with the better team. But I can see why, guys, if the gap is so wide and a crappy team has cap room and they say, listen, we'll change your life. We're going to make you the man. Right. 
And, uh, and, and if there's ego in play, if you're, you know, if, if you're not fully self-aware and you look and say, you know what, I'm the reason why that offense clicked and, and I can go over here. That's my point. And that's make the that danger. Work. Yeah. I see why that decision's made. Eric Decker, you know what? Peyton Manning's great, but I'm the man. Yes. Yeah. Look how many passes. It's, it's not quite the same when, uh, when backups are throwing you the ball in, in New York. If the question right now is, is, uh, starting in 2018, do I think that Keenum can go to any team and succeed and be be super productive. My answer is no. I think he can go places and be very good. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that he doesn't have the ability to be a very successful QB for the next, let's say, five years. But I think if he just says, "Man, the money from this place is phenomenal," and you know what, I'm pretty damn good, and I proved myself. I think he sets himself up for a quick fall. Yeah. Let's come back here, take a quick break. Mike Golick Jr. has been great every week on this show since week one. He's going to join us when we come back here. We'll talk more about the Vikings and the Eagles. Mackie and Judd, another three segments. Mackie and Judd now continue. Now back to more sports than you can handle. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, here comes Hockley with the, the call, the initial call. The ball was illegally touched. But it was also, re- and it was then recovered by the kicking team. However, there was a holding by the receiving team number 57. That penalty will be enforced from the previous spot. That will replay fourth down. New England is challenging the ruling on the field that the ball was not touched, and therefore that the recovery was illegal. If the ball was touched by the receiving team, it would be a legal recovery by New England down there. Okay, we need like we need five of those hockey league explanations on Sunday. Mike Golick Jr., uh, we've just been informed as of yesterday, Ed Hockey in prime time for the NFC Championship game. We got the big guns for Eagles and Vikings, baby. You know what is good? Eh? I, I think he needs that kind of national exposure again because for some reason I feel like Ed Hockey League mania has died down and we need to get back to our roots. Yes. Did you know that his kid is a ref out west in college football? That makes sense. I mean, you knew the gene pool was going to be much too strong. <laughs> Actually, so way. it's funny you mentioned the gene pool. Okay, listen to his son uh, explaining a call in a recent college football game. The ruling on the field is that the punter picked up the ball and threw a forward pass. This pass was intentional grounding because there was no receiver in the area the ball would have landed. This is a loss of down at that spot. It will be Utah's ball first down. Great explanation from Sean Hockley. <laughs> so here, here's my question, Mike. What What is Christmas like at that household? Like, who even talks? Who gets to talk? Does Ed talk? Does the kid talk? Do they all talk at the it's same time? It's all very thorough. It, I was going to say it's very organized. It's very detailed. No one talks over anyone else. The explanations are very <laughs> thorough. You know exactly you know, when the Christmas ham is supposed to come out of the oven. We've got a very detailed plan for when we're going to open presents, when the Smiths come over, <laughs> yes. the refereeing family in town to make sure that everything is right on schedule. So I, I have no doubt about that. It's amazing how smooth it is. You can see the second generation. No call is foreign to him because he's grown up around it and seen it his whole life. You are absolutely correct. Uh, your, your thoughts and your surprise when uh, when Stefan Diggs caught that ball on Sunday for uh, what is one of the most miraculous uh, finishes Perhaps number one on the list of uh, plays in Minnesota sports history. I was sitting there already drafting my text message to, you know, Kyle and Floyd and Harrison, just basically saying, you know, hey, guys, a really tough one, great season, though. Look forward to still hopefully seeing you guys around during Super Bowl week. 
week. And then, thankfully, before I could hit send on something so dumb, the most unbelievable play I, I maybe have ever seen in the playoffs with my own eyes happens right in front of me. It was it was one of those where everyone stops and kind of takes stock of where they were because it's the kind of play that you remember forever. And you only you only get something this insane in the world of sports, and you really only get something this insane maybe a handful of times in the whole time that you watch sports. So it was it was a really cool moment. It was cool to see. I mean, the reaction from everyone. Guys so willing to own the moment. Diggsy was out there making sure that he got all his Instagram throwback Thursday pictures <laughs> for the rest of time taken care of. Tate got that moment leading the skull clap with everyone when they finally ushered people back onto the field for the extra point. It, it had everything that you wanted in that moment because those guys were so willing to just be shocked in it. Like what, what is it about case Keenum? I mean, you've been, you've, you've, you've kind of bought in, you know, since the first handful of games and I don't I think we're kind of split in the twin cities. I've needed to see more, but there's clearly something about him, some sort of a leadership or intangible quality that, that just rises above everything else. He made he, he didn't play well in the first half. He makes bad throws, but then he just has this sort of bleep you persona, and it's this take charge, uh, you know, demeanor in the huddle. But what is it when you watch him that that elevates him? Well, I think it is some of that. It's sort of a fearlessness. Now it borders on recklessness. Believe me, there were a couple of throws even towards the end that he was just lobbing up to Kyle that in any other world are probably sure picks that fortunately for Minnesota fell to the earth. But so it's not like he doesn't at times take chances that make you cringe, but he's a guy that really plays with that lack of fear. And for someone in his position who came into this season, not expecting to play, or at least on paper, not supposed to have played throughout this time, who certainly already has a past in the NFL that, a lot of people judge him by. You can see that sort of idea that he's playing with house money. He plays mm-hmm. understanding the doubt. We've seen other places in this playoff. I mean, look at the way that the guys from Jacksonville rally around and def- defend Blake Bortles, who suffers a lot of the same doubts and slings from the outside world. And his teammates, much the same way in Minnesota, appreciate the fact that no one really wants this guy to succeed, but he is more than willing to go out every week despite the doubts, despite what people say, and, and prepare in a way that gives this team a chance to win every time. There's just there's something as a player that's endearing because everyone's been doubted at some point in time, no matter how good or bad you are, where you lie on the roster. Someone along the way has given you some reason to go out there and work a little bit extra hard or work a, you know stay in the film room a little bit longer. And so guys see that's for Case basically every week on this team. Hey, Mike, how much do you see a play like the Diggs catch as well and start to think to yourself that that if sports karma exists, that there's there's just some years that, that for certain teams are special. Because, I mean, you see that play, and it's so improbable. And and I start to think to myself, this might just be the, the Vikings' year. Uh, I always shudder when that happens as someone that was a proud member of a quote-unquote team of destiny back in 2012 at Notre Dame. you got to be – I'm always leery of, of doing that, and it's purely my own personal superstition – I believe that every great team somewhere along the way gets lucky, that the season is too long and there's too much that happens into it for skill and for your own preparedness to be the only determinant of top-end success. And so I think you need moments like that. Now, rarely do you get them on that stage and in that moment in that way. 
But I think that's one of those things that can certainly carry you and give you life. You know, you go back into this week if you're a guy in that locker room with sort of a renewed zeal because you realize, all right, that was incredible, but I'm sure the coaches will be the first to harp on them and say, all right, we won that game because of that. We almost lost it for X, Y, and Z reasons along the way. There's a reason that we were in that position. And so as a team, you've got to focus on what were the deficiencies that put us there and how do we correct those because we're a team that in our own right is a very good, solid football team before all that. Yeah. Hey, Mike Goley Jr., before we dive into more like Eagles, Vikings, and what you think happens going forward here, Jaguars, Patriots, Marcus Williams, I, I mean, I get – it's the guy's a rookie and and he's got a, a long career ahead. He said something. I believe it was Monday after the game was over. I'm not going to let this play define me. But I got news for him, and I don't mean to pile on. Think about how miraculous of a career he's going to have to have, or whatever big play he has to make on the positive end for that not to be the defining play of his career. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Listen, I, I, I will applaud him for the way that he's handled this immediately after the game. He did nothing but take responsibility, and it didn't seem like something in the moment that was going to break him, and thankfully the world has been rather kind to him in the aftermath. But you're right. I, I, I don't envision a day anytime soon where he sees something else when he closes his eyes to go to sleep at night. It's just the kind of thing that can stick with you, and you hope for his sake. I believe I believe in him hearing him say it that he's going to go on. He's going to attack this career with everything in him, but he can't control the outside world. And unfortunately, the way this works, that outside of him coming back to the same stage or the Super Bowl stage and making a play that's bigger, you're probably going to have a tough time outrunning this one. We've seen the way that these sort of highlight real awful plays live forever. How on earth, though, do you do you defensively, and not just him, but – how do you mess that play up so badly? I mean, Diggs catches the ball. He's clearly in bounds. And all the safety has to do at that point is at least wrap him up. And and it, it was like a comedy skit. He flew by him like he was on skates with his head down. I don't understand how, if, if, if you're a Saints fan, it would still be incomprehensible to me how that play happened like that. And you know what? There's actually, if you're looking for even a deeper dive for the the sort of football junkies out there, Dominique Foxworth, who works for us and writes for the Undefeated, does a great uh, article called the All-22 every week. And in this week's piece, he diagrammed how really the failure certainly begins and ends with Williams, who could have very easily, despite everything else, made this play. But really the way the coaching staff didn't put him in a position to succeed with the call there that for some reason was so far from what normal end-of-game situations like that where all you need to do is defend the sideline and the end zone really call for. So it's a great in-depth look at the ways that that coaching staff you know, with Dennis Allen and, and Sean Payton could have put him in a better position to succeed with a better and, and really just more run-of-the-mill call in that situation rather than what they were in. Yeah, so one thing, so a couple days ago, so Kyle was on at the very end of your dad's show uh, like for five minutes right before the end of the show, and then we had Jarius Wright on our show like two hours after that, and he was running the second route between Rudolph and Diggs, and both of them agreed there's no reason to cover the underneath Rudolph route there. He ran like a little six-yard out in the flat, and you have to get 20 or 30 yards for it to be a relevant play, and there's no timeouts left. If you're only going to have three defenders covering those three routes, there's if you want to go really X's and O's, there's no reason to cover the Kyle Rudolph route there. And even he said that. He's like, I don't know why they covered me, but I knew that it was two-on-two, two, and if one of those guys messed up behind me, then it might be something big. 
Yeah, there was no reason to cover that. There was no reason to have four defensive line bodies on the field at the time yep. to go even further before in the play. So yeah. there are just all these little things along the way schematically that certainly we can dissect now and are right to. But at the end of the day, it's also going to be one that if you're Marcus, is going to be difficult to escape because in his heart of hearts, he's just going to feel like, well, I should have made the tackle. And, you know, he showed up early. I heard uh, uh, Tim Hasselback talking about how, you know, part of it was the throw the throw and catch, too. It was a route that Diggsy sort of, you know, was lazy coming out of the break because he was probably exhausted at that point after yeah. the last few plays. And the timing of all those things gets you there early, gets you there in a situation where you duck your head for a moment, and the rest is, uh, is your unfortunate part of history. Your thoughts on Sunday's game at the link, Mike Olick, Jr.? Uh, I think this is a matchup between two really similar teams. I mean, outside of uh, uh, you know the sort of Jeff Fisher jokes that are going to abound for this week, <laughs> they're two teams that really want to work hard establishing the run. They're two teams that are, are, are built on defense and on really great third down defense. I mean, the the Minnesota Vikings are running into one of the only third down defenses that can really stand on the field and go toe to toe with theirs. And they do it in different ways. We know Mike Zimmer is a beautiful football mind who is going to throw a pretty varied pressure package at you, especially on third down. Philadelphia is, I think say different in the sense that more often than not, they're just going to line up, roll the ball out and try and beat the hell out of you. Their defensive front doesn't move around a ton. They're going to play a ton of a fair amount of man to man, especially in the red zone. So I think that's an interesting place to watch where, you know, a guy like Kyle, who's been so successful in the last couple of years, ends up with a player like Malcolm Jenkins, who they love down in the box, who played a lot of man on tight end last week. Uh, against Atlanta. I'm excited because selfishly I watch the front sevens more than anything else, and this is going to be a marquee matchup between the two. But, uh, again, this is a week where we go into it and say, despite the fact that the Eagles are at home, despite the fact that you know they are one of the top third-down defenses, they are the third-best special teams team in the league, it still feels like a game that Minnesota absolutely has the upper hand in and going into it. Yep. Hey, thanks for the insight, as always. And you're either going to have a bunch of puddles mess Minnesota sports fans next week or you're going to have generational elation uh, for, for the next two. So we'll see what happens. Hoping for the latter. I'm counting on you guys in a good mood and showing me a good time when I get out there for Super Bowl week. So we'll do it. Yes. Alright. Thank you, sir. See you, Junior. Thanks, guys. Alright, Mike Goley Jr. Every week he's been uh, he's been an awesome guest on our show. So, yeah. It's, it's, it, it, can you imagine if they don't win this game? It's really fun to have the Super Bowl here in town. Oh. But if they don't beat the Eagles, it's going to be this but foggy, I'm telling you, depressing no, mood for two weeks. It's going to be even worse because people like Collar Don from Philadelphia are going to come here for the game, and they are going to. They are shameless. They will rub our faces in, in this. You will. I am not kidding when I say this. You stay out of our if restaurants. The Phil, if the Philadelphia Eagles, Eagles fans, if you win, win this on game. Sunday, if I'm a bar, I'm upping my security quota. I'm getting more security because they are sh- they will they will rub it in our faces. You will have fist fights in bars. I segregate. No Eagles fans in restaurants. Sorry. And they will sing "Fly Eagles Fly" endlessly. <laughs> yeah, make it, our ears bleed. It will be it will be hell. Dave, what kind of questions are you going to fire at us next? Well, I do have one regarding Caller Don from Philly and Eagles fans in general, and of course we'll have plenty on the game as well. All right. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They got to be some tight asses, don't you think? Oh, they take it <laughs> very seriously. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN.
Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. All right, Mackie and Judd, Dave Harrigan's got some questions for us. I'm guessing they're going to involve some uh, some Vikings Eagles here in yeah, some form, too. I think huh? they just might. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's the general consensus of Vikings fans, maybe we're being a little haughty, maybe not, that the Vikings defense should have no problem with Nick Foles and... He's a terrible quarterback, so they're just going to kick six different kinds of dog crap over the Eagles' offense. And Sounds about right. Yeah, it's uh, it's no problem. I have a question. Are you worried about the Vikings' offense versus the Eagles' defense? And in particular, Case Keenum either being a little bit too gun-shy after that horrible interception against the Saints or still just slinging it without a care in the world? My answer, I think I gave uh, a couple hours ago, is an unequivocal, yes, I am concerned. I have concerns about... But that's uh, your general state, though. Con- like, you're no, just, no, 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 no. Your no. resting state no, is concerned. No, no, Let's remember that last week on this very program... Let's, oh, here comes let's recall. Let's recall. Let's turn that off. Let's recall that last week on this very program, I said consistently from Monday on that I thought the Vikings were going to win a very close game that was going to be hell to watch. And I was right. I had a really good feeling. Mm-hmm. I clearly didn't see it ending the way it did, but I had a good feeling for how that game against the Saints was going to unfold. The crystal ball's gone this time, boys. I got nothing. I got no gut fe- feeling about this game. And therefore, I will say that I do have a concern that if the Vikings uh, have problems establishing the run and you have to rely on Keenum to provide your offense, that I have um, a bit of trepidation about this game. So th- these two teams do mirror each other in a lot of ways. I think this is going to be a gut-wrenching game for both franchises and the fan bases. I think it's going to be lower scoring than the Vikings-Saints game. That 38 38- and a half over-under number, and that's a really low NFL game over-under number. That seems high. I can envision this being like 13 to 9 mm-hmm. or 17 to 14 or something. Couldn't you guys envision that where it's definitely uh, that no one gets to 20 points and there's like five total turnovers or something? With these, de- with these defenses on that field, yes, I could. I could see that happening. And to answer Dave's question specifically, the fact that Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and company were only able to muster, what was it, 10 points? They lost, what was it, 15 to 10, I think, was the final score of that game. And that's a really good offense. Now, the Vikings offense has been statistically just as good as the Falcons offense this year in many ways, but you get you know, you know get sort of blinded by Matt Ryan, MVP, and Julio Jones, one of the, the great wide receivers in uh, the recent history of the NFL. Um, if it comes down to grind it out, low scoring, both defenses are making it really hard for the other team, and everything kind of, let's say the defenses kind of cancel out. And let's say the home field advantage favors the Eagles a little bit, but it's only maybe a point or two advantage. Who do I trust more, Case Keenum or Nick Foles? I think Case Keenum is a measurably better quarterback right now than Nick Foles. I just do. They've scored they've scored an average of 11 points per game in the last three games, all at home with Nick Foles as their starter. Well, yeah, but they played the, the, they played the backups against Dallas in the second. Okay. Like that's you didn't score. Like you didn't score in a home game against the Dallas Cowboys. All I'm telling you, they're not going to score a bunch of points against the Vikings defense. All I'm trying to tell you is, I saw the Saints game crystal clear, and and this one's very blurry to me. That causes a lot of concern. Okay, you waking up in the morning that causes, causes a lot of concern. A lot of concern that I don't see this clearly. Do you ever get really concerned before you like put a toothbrush in your mouth that you might 
like accidentally cut your gums and then like what where how far does your concern like go gu- no i don't get concerned about that <laughs> no i'm just telling you that i saw last week uh, clearly and i don't see it clearly this time it's going to so. be it's all about expectations know. we can agree that this is going to yes. most likely be a grinded out fairly ugly the game o- the only thing so there's going to be turnovers the only thing that i i assured you last week that can i assure you of again is i'm pretty certain this is going to be hell to go through it's going to be this is if if they make the super bowl you're going to have eight quarters of hell We'll get to Don from Philadelphia, that call uh, we had early in the show, in a moment. But right now, I want to get an email from Pete that he sent us a little earlier. Uh, Pete, with a story a few years ago, flying uh, flying out of uh, D.C., in fact. He was waiting at the gate for a flight. This perfect Philly dude bro sits next to me. Backwards cap, wraparound shades indoors, and Brian's Do- Brian Dawkins' jersey, obviously heading to T.C. for the game. His phone rings. He answers, quote, this is the Jakester. Oh, my God. God, I hope they lose. Now, humans compete. We like rankings. Phil and Judd rank them on 1500 ESPN. <laughs> rank the three most annoying fan bases in all of sports because the Eagles might be one of them. Oh, my God. I actually, uh, I have five that came to mind. Wow. Give me all five. Here? Let's go. Is, do I go first here or is it Judd's turn? Your turn. My turn? Okay. I uh, honestly, maybe it's just recency bias. I think the Eagles have the most annoying fan base in all of sports. I think Philadelphia fans in general, if you want to lump, you know, there's a lot of overlap with the other sports teams. But like this guy, Don, literally called into our show in the nine o'clock hour and said, we are above you in your little small sports town in every single way. Knowing in his mind, as he trash talks Minnesota sports fans, knowing in his mind the Flyers haven't won a Stanley Cup championship probably in his lifetime, but since the mid-70s. Hey, yo, you guys up there in that little small sports market bubble you're living in, you're overlooking the game this Sunday where you're not even going to get to the Super Bowl. Okay, this is Philly. We're not playing in some warm dome, okay? This is Philadelphia. We're going to take your hearts out of your check. Eagles will be in the Super Bowl. We end your playoff hopes every single time. It ain't gonna be no different this year. I mean, the, you, you the, the Eagles have never won a Super Bowl. That's true. The Eagles have never won a Super Bowl. Now the Vikings haven't either, so it's definitely two fan bases that are going to be very, very much on edge the, for three hours during the entire game. The Eagles won an NFL championship in 1960. Yes, and I get so the Phillies go. had to put together a pitching staff of four Hall of Famers before they could finally get over the hump, but they underachieved for the era because they couldn't win multiple. They couldn't go on a run of like three out of five with that pitching staff. Roy Halladay and Cliff Lee. They had Roy Oswalt as their number four starter at one point. Mm-hmm. So I think the reason I rank the Eagles number one and Philadelphia fans number one, the gap between how boisterous you are and how much you actually produce championships. Boston fans, New York fans, you know what? They're obnoxious. They're annoying. But they win championships on a regular basis, annually. Two of your major teams haven't won. If you're 45 years old or younger, you've never seen the Flyers or the Eagles win a championship. Yet you're like the, the level of boisterousness is so over the top. At least we have the decency to be sort of meek and insecure out loud about our sports teams for the most part. Like we we panic out loud. You can you can read our emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're number one. I'm going to put the Miami Heat fans during the LeBron James era number two because there weren't actually Miami Heat fans before LeBron got there. They just, like, a bunch of Justin Biebers came out of the woodworks and started rooting for the Miami Heat. Uh, Lakers and Yankees fans in a tie for sort of that third spot because even though they have large, it's L.A. and it's New York, it's large organic fan bases, there's not 
a fan base more fraudulent in terms of just bandwagon random guy at Twins game with a Yankees hat on, right? Like you don't Lakers and Yankees are such random bandwagon fans sprinkled throughout. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to have some self-awareness here and put Notre Dame number five, even though I am a Notre Dame fan. Let's be honest. We haven't been relevant as a fan base or as a football program in 30 years. Well, when you were, you got your yeah, I was going to say the goal of junior team, and even then, like everyone knew that, that it, it, deep down inside, we kind of knew, yeah, yeah, this team doesn't really belong. So, uh, if I could have some self awareness, I would say Notre Dame is in the top five too. I'll go by towns here. Number one, New York for sure. New York fans are as obnoxious as possible. Uh, they they all they're, they're like Don and possibly worse. So they're one on my list. Two is Boston fans because they're so damn spoiled too. They're obnoxious and they're spoiled. I mean, they if they don't win championships, they're upset. It's like, but you got to the Super Bowl. That's not good enough now. We got Boston. So they're two on my list. Three is Philadelphia. I will issue, by the way, if you are a Viking fan, and, and I think Sun Country is going to run a couple charters to uh, out there for the game on Sunday, I will issue a word of caution. I covered a Packer uh, Packer Eagles divisional round playoff game in 2003. If you wear your Viking gear and you are going, let's say you're going with your wife or something, think twice about it. They will beat you up. I saw Packer fans get beat up. I'm not kidding you, okay? So if you and your wife are going and you're going to be like, yeah, let's wear our Keenum and Diggs garb and, we're, and let's cheer for the Vikings, they will beat you up. They won't politely heckle you. They won't be funny about it. I've seen people get beat up. Be careful. Philadelphia fans can be jack bleeps. Be careful. Number yeah, f- Minnesota fans will just talk passively, aggressively exactly. behind your back when exactly. you leave. We right, m- that's right. We might get drunk and push you. They will beat you up sober and do worse things to you drunk. Be careful. Number four on my list: Los Angeles fans. The Los Angeles fan base drives me crazy. They're too they're too cool for school. They're used to success. They all leave early. Los Angeles fans drive me nuts, therefore. And number five, well, it's us. It's us. Because our problem is this. If you don't get on board here, if you don't get on board with what, what Sid Hartman established 70 years ago as being for the home team, you're against the team, we should have the ability far more frequently to get upset with our teams. But we don't. It's like, well, if you don't believe in Keenum, then you're not on. No, that's not true. This is a great story. We can talk about things without that meaning that that you have abandoned your team. So number five is looking right at us and our own flaws. Now, neither of you mentioned Cub fans, so you missed the mark on that. Let's try this. Not uh, yet. They're not obnoxious yet. Oh, they've been obnoxious you, for 100 years. You hate I Cubs disagree. fans. I think I'm, they're just... They're well, just you're wrong. Of, I'm just telling you. You're wrong. They just accept number, it. They care more about beer and, beer and weather than baseball. That's fine. Whatever. Let's help Twins Don, fans do, too. For let's help Don and Philly out a little bit. Uh, since he thinks we're so small-time little market, we've got nothing going on for us. What uh, What is better about Minnesota and the Twin Cities than Philadelphia? Give me a short list of things that they suck at that we are so much better at or have that's so much better. I, I'm so hung up on one thing that we don't have that I'm, I'm having problems with this list. They've got Yingling and we don't. I'm so hung up on that fact. I've I mean, heard a lot of people say Yingling is very overrated, Judd. It might be, but why don't we have it? Why won't that? They're the biggest. They're the oldest beer distributor, I believe, in the country. Why don't they bring it here? I think it goes to Columbus, and that's as far west as as it goes. 
I'll think some more, but Phil, go ahead. <laughs> That's all you can focus on? I'm too hung up on the yingling thing. I'd like to apologize. I'm very, very sorry. They have yingling and a bell with a crack in it. Great. That's fantastic. It's actually a fun town. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I've well, drank there before several times. Let me, you've town. drank everywhere several times. Yeah, well, but not all times. Let great. me tell you something about I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that goes against my part of the core of my being. Okay. You guys know that one of my favorite movies of all time and movie characters of all time. Rocky, Rocky Four, Rocky Balboa, right? I'm a Tommy Gunn fan. Rocky, what's going on? Why did you agree to this? We fight in Soviet Union, but we fight no one. All right. I'm going to say something, and it's going to discredit the 32 years of my existence and my favorite character in my favorite movie series, but the single most overrated sports uh, movie, athlete, movie, sports figure, Rocky Balboa. Who in his career is 58, 23, and 1. What kind of a fraudulent boxing champion has 23 career losses? <laughs> 23 wow. career losses and, and he, a draw. And he never got his hands up. Never got his hands I up to protect himself. I can't believe you're doing this. I mean, that's a whole other conversation about the level of CTE Rocky Balboa probably suffers from in his later years here. What's that, like 80 fights? Mm-hmm. I mean, Muhammad Ali lost a handful of fights, mostly at the end, right? When he was still boxing and he had, you know, he had some major yeah, medical conditions. Yeah. Rocky Marciano retired undefeated, if I'm not mistaken. The Jack Dempsey's of the world. You put all the great fighters, take just the heavyweight fighters of all time. Even Mike Tyson, you know, had to bite a guy's ear off to, you know, get out of a fight one time in the 90s. You add them all up, they don't add up to 23 losses. Rocky Balboa, 23 losses. And you put a statue up? I'm sorry. He's a fraud. My childhood was a fraud. I have to be honest. And your adulthood, actually. (laughs) Shocked. True. That is true. Let's come back and wrap up the Mackie and Judd show here. That felt really, really, really good. Wow. To get that off my chest. I'm still going to watch the movies, just within (laughs) proper context. Let's talk about my friend Chris Lindahl for a second here. Uh, Chris was just in yesterday, uh, and uh, and we were talking a lot about the brand new workshop that the Chris Lindahl team, the number one Remax results team, is putting on. It's the Seller Workshop, sellerworkshop.com, if you want to find out more information. But how would you like to potentially make thirty to sixty thousand dollars more on the sale of your home? That's right, thirty to sixty thousand dollars more on the sale of your home. Well, Chris Lindahl is putting together a workshop January 29th through the 31st to help you look differently at the way homes should be sold. I mean, there's been kind of a standard cookie-cutter way for a long time. The Chris Lindahl team is blowing the roof off of everything that you've ever known about selling your home. We're talking top-notch marketing, creating a competitive environment for the sale of your home. That's what they did for me about a year ago. They had people fighting over my condo, and then the price just kept going up and up and up by the time... Uh, it was on the market for three hours uh, initially before someone made a full-priced offer. So I've had experience. If you want to join this workshop, go to sellerworkshop.com. That's sellerworkshop.com or call 763-401-SOLD. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. No, ma'am, we do not have a sense of humor we're aware of. May we come in? Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. You can join me, Dave Harrigan, in supporting the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, my favorite charity, at the Bar Olympics that we'll be holding this Saturday, the 20th, at Union 32 Craft House in Egan from 2 to 5. 
in the afternoon. You'll get an afternoon full of games, food, drink specials, prizes, participants, participants, that's easy for me to say, competing in a number of events to see who can bring home the gold. Top performers will be awarded prizes courtesy of us here at 1500 ESPN and Union 32 as well. More details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. A, a tweet here backing up what Harrigan said earlier about Cubs fans as well. You know, I know people are bugged by Cubs fans. They don't bug me that much. Me either. I, I mean, I have been one, you know, for the large well, part of my life, so I'm not going to, I guess I'm in the bubble too much, but. And I get the fact that it's a lot of, uh, of frat guys and stuff like that, but I mean. Well, every fan base has frat its guys. Heart, That's but like, at its core, what I was going to say is, at its core, Cubs fans were a long-suffering group as well. I mean, if you're a Vikings fan, if, you, if you've if you been a Vikings fan for a long time now, there are only X amount of, of fan bases that I truly believe that, that you can identify with because ineptitude's not it. So you can't look at, at a team that's gone a long time without a championship and just say, you know what, we relate. You don't. You've been really good for a long time, and you've lost in epic fashion in huge games. So there's a very small group and I think to a large degree, until the Cubs finally broke through, the Cubs were a group that you could relate to. I mean, you could go back to the Bartman game and things like that. That is the type of epic meltdowns that, that until Sunday when it comes to the Vikings yeah. that you're talking about. Yeah, I think, well, I think, I don't know. I I guess Red Sox fans would make more sense to me because Red Sox fans just came up first of all it came out of the woodworks after 2004 all of a sudden like everyone had a boston hat you know you could walk around a mall in minneapolis and you'd see four guys with a boston red Sox hat and you know like a david ortiz uh jersey uh minnesota florida guy chimes in on twitter here this is for judd yingling has nothing over michelob golden light you can't get michelob golden light down here in florida but yingling is everywhere MGL is better than Yingling all day long. Oh, we're going to wow. trade with you. I will buy you. I will buy you some MGL. I will ship it down there. You send me Yingling from Florida, and we'll we'll swap. Uh, do you have a, an opinion on, we'll on the head-to-head there. matchup there? On the Mick Golden Light versus the, the Yingling? I pref- How do you handicap I, the matchup? Well, personally, I prefer Yingling. I mean, that's just my preference. The MGL is fine, I guess. It's okay. I like Yingling. I know a lot of people that say it's not that good. I think it's pretty good. I'm not saying it's the greatest beer of, of all time. There's a lot of good beers, a lot of good craft beers. What I'm saying is that Yingling to me is a very solid beer. Sure. Uh, how, how about this year from people are people heard that? Do we still have that Don call? It's part of the call because people. Uh, Tom says, can we just throw all the Philly fans in jail and contract all their teams? Or just, this is, yeah, or just take Trump's wall and build it entirely around their city and fill it with water. <laughs> Don, that's a little, Don, or Tom, that's a little far. That's hey, a little far. Yeah, you guys up there in that little small sports market bubble you're living in, you're overlooking the game this Sunday where you're not even going to get to the Super Bowl. Okay, this is Philly. We're not playing in some warm dome, okay? This is Philadelphia. We're going to take your hearts out of your check. Eagles will be in the Super Bowl. We end your playoff hopes every single time. Yeah. It ain't going to be no different this year. Yeah. yeah, well, school. Um, so I've done I've done some math here. Yeah, Philadelphia is definitely a bigger city in terms of market size, mm-hmm. but there are more relevant sports teams in this market, professional and and major college, 
and I would add this to the conversation too. The Flyers have not won a championship since the mid seventies. Brought three boys. Yeah. Now the Wild has never won. So I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna do the the counting game, then yes, the, the North the Philadelphia all either. time. Yep. Uh, now a lot of the the teams we're talking about here didn't even come into existence until like the sixties. The Twins. You know, now do we get to count the Minneapolis Lakers? Because I think if you're gonna count. Eagles championships from the 1940s and 50s. They have three of them before the Super Bowl era. Mm-hmm. And we get to count the basketball championships. You want to play that game, the Minnesota wins. But for someone to call in, and if you listen to Philly Sports Talk Radio, the bravado is off the charts. It's very stereotypical. Yeah, that's how they do it. It is. And then you listen to that bravado, and you look and see, okay, the Eagles have never won a Super Bowl. The Flyers haven't won a championship since 1975. Mm-hmm. And the Phillies have only been to the playoffs like... Six times since the early 80s, they did win one World Series over that stretch, but the Twins have two World Series uh, since since that stretch took place. Mm-hmm. It's it, the gap between actual productivity and then your basketball. Like The Sixers haven't been relevant since Charles Barkley. Like Allen Iverson brought you to one when, championship when was where you got last smoked title? by the Lakers. When was the Sixers' last title? Do you early 80s, I want to say. Somewhere in there. All right. So anyways, I just think it's funny that the the... The gap between the bravado and the productivity. You know, if, if you're a Boston sports fan, you might be obnoxious, but you've kind of earned it. Red Sox every other year. Patriots, five championships. Bruins call, have a championship though, or two. Don, Celtics. Don's call is East Coast Sports Talk. That's it. Like, in a nutshell, if you if you give out the n- number and open the phone lines, that call is the call you're going to get. As opposed to uh, Minnesota Sports Talk callers this time around. How's it going? I'm... Oh, my God. <laughs> What's oh wrong? My God. What's wrong, man? You act I, like there's I, something I'm, wrong. I'm just trying to stop the tears from rolling down my cheeks. <laughs> I'm... I'm oh. <laughs> this never happens for us. Uh. It never happens that we get lucky. Tell me about but, it. Oh, my God. This is their year. I mean, you don't... They don't that you don't make a play like that and it not be your year. It is just their year. I cannot wait to Philadelphia. You got Nick Foles, man. It's just man, I'm man, let I, the kicker made the kick. Drew Brees, they brought down and made the kick. You throw a Hail Mary. Man, it's just I, I just feel like it's their year, man. That's our trash like, talk. Very cautious. It's That's like, our man, trash I think talk. It's like, man, I feel pretty good, but I'm still I, really worried. Oh my I god! I think oh. we're gonna be. I think we're yeah. gonna beat you. That's our trash talk. <laughs> Nick Foles. I think we can beat him. It totally is. Yeah, I, I really. You know, I think he's just. He's a really good guy, but I really think that he's gonna struggle against this defense. And yeah, and Don's like, totally we're coming us. for you. We're gonna rip your heart out. <laughs> okay, but don't make it painful, please. Please don't hurt us while you're doing that. Just make it quick, then. Oh, man. Uh, the Sixers, uh, to answer my own question, the Sixers' last title came in 1983. Okay. So it's been a long time. I mean, time. if you're still pimping titles from the mid-'70s and early-'80s. Now, the Phillies won an, a title in the early-'80s, too. In '80, they beat the Royals. Yeah. And that, that was their first title in forever at All the right. time. There's got to be a statute of limitations on pimping championships. Otherwise, go for football would be sitting there. Yeah, Badgers. <laughs> That's right. My <laughs> great, 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 great grandpa. Bernie Beerman owned you. end. We own Madison. That's right. Yeah, George Washington was the president. All right, we're back tomorrow. <laughs> this holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 
Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.